Welcome to What Makes Me Weird with Joel Sharpton, where we talk to a different uh, guest every week about what they're passionate about. That might be their artistry, their industry, or their hobby. But I think that everybody just geeks out over something. And so I want to find that thing that sets them apart from other people. And I want to discuss that at greater length. Um, Thanks so much for joining the show. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, You can stumble upon us, of course, on Blog Talk Radio or uh, at our website. You can email the show if you've got questions or feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Makesmeweird at gmail.com. And, of course, if you enjoy the show, we'd love for you to leave us a review after the fact as well. Today's guest is going to be Jeff Brown. We're, We're talking to Jeff about what makes him weird. And one of the things that I think makes him weird is his life in radio. He's a longtime radio industry vet. And that's a business that, of course, I'm intimately familiar with. I've been in radio for 10 years. That's my day job still. This is not just bread. This is a delicious M&S sliced loaf. Just one of our range that has been sliced from pound fifteen to 65p. Enriched with vitamin D and fiber, it's great for packed lunches. This is not just value. This is M&S value. Subject to availability, excludes franchise stores. And Jeff and I have a lot in common along those lines. We sort of both stumbled backwards into radio. wasn't our original goal or our original aspiration, but we fit it very well. And it has been good to us over the years. And from radio came other things, in both of our case, podcasting. Jeff is the host of a really cool podcast that I enjoy a great deal called the Read to Lead podcast. I strongly suggest that you look it up if you're like me. You like to read, and yet you don't find yourself having enough time. He talks to authors, uh, especially authors with a uh, a business or a productivity focus, and he sort of gets to the core of what their book and what the message of those books is about, and yet does that in a very bite-sized format, 30, 45 minutes in a podcast uh, interview. So really cool stuff, and I think you're going to enjoy the show when you give him a chance. I think you're really going to enjoy uh, hearing from him, though, and uh, I'm looking forward to bringing him to you right here on What Makes Me Weird with Joel Sharpton, this week's guest is Jeff Brown. Now, Jeff uh, graduated a few years back. We don't have to get specific about how long ago, right, <laughs> Jeff? Uh, but uh, you, you, got your, you got your undergraduate. You started at Butler University with a music education degree. Did you go, did you go straight into radio, Jeff? Or, or how, tell us about that. What was the entry point? Well, yes and no. I didn't actually earn the degree in music. I ended up dropping out uh, a couple of years into the process. I had a semester of student teaching about halfway through my junior year, uh, going into junior high school every day and teaching junior high kids. And after a semester of that, I said, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Uh, and so, um, I, I ended up dropping out and I went back later and got a degree in, in business. Uh, but when I dropped out, it was, um, kind of, okay, what do I do now? And that's when I sort of fell into radio. Uh, radio had always been a fascination of mine and something that I had uh, sort of thought would be cool to pursue. And now that this whole, you know, idea of a music teacher wasn't going to pan out, uh, as long, you know, though, though it took me a long time to figure that out, I decided, well, let's try this other thing over here that I always thought would be fun and cool and see how that goes. And ended up doing it for, uh, about 26 years, almost 27 years. It is, it's amazing to me. See, that's another place where you and I sort of intersect. I didn't, I didn't actually drop out, but I, I was um, studying theater and I got mm. all the way to my, my fifth senior year, you know, that, that second senior year. <laughs> and, uh, 
I, I decided at the last minute, hey, I've got a couple of classes left here and I'd rather enjoy my time and spend time with my girlfriend. And, you know, I was getting ready to get married and things like that. And I ended up not actually finishing the theater degree. And then with nothing to do with my effectively useless general education poli sci degree, whatever I pieced together, um, <laughs> I, I ended up falling, falling backwards into radio. Um, mm. I, I even uh, like you. I was a production director. I am a production director right now. It's something you did for mm -hmm. a long time. Um, what was your favorite part of the radio business? I know you moved on. You're doing a lot of things on your own now. But what do you like most about that broadcast aspect? Yeah, um, uh, quite a few things. Actually, uh, one of the things I had the most fun uh, doing on, in the sort of the inside the operation was, was the uh, sort of writing and uh, promo creation aspect, as you well know, from a production director standpoint, the station I last worked for, we, we, um, uh, produced a lot of our own concerts. And so one of my jobs was to write the concert promos and produce them, create them from the ground up. And that's something I had a lot of fun doing. I prided myself on doing, um, doing them well, uh, and doing them in such a way that they're not normally done. Usually it's who, what, when, where, how, you know, here are all the particulars about the concert and here's a few snippets of their songs and there you go. And that's kind of the cookie cutter way everybody did it. And, and I tried to get a little more creative with it, tell a story. Oftentimes there was humor and, uh, you know, various actors involved. I had the, the privilege of working with one particular, uh, voiceover, uh, guy that was, um, very, very talented and he could take something that I wrote and, 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 understand what it was I was going for and create that from, from his performance. And so that, that was something that I enjoyed a great deal. Um, I did mornings for a while. The, the, my last six years on the air, I uh, was doing mornings and I had three co-hosts during that time, but it's like, get divorced, get remarried, get divorced, get remarried, start all over again. Oh, we got a date again. Oh man. You know, it's, that's kind of, kind of what morning radio is like when you, when you, have a rotation of, of, you know, co-hosts and partners coming in and out. But, uh, I did enjoy that time. I enjoyed the, um, uh, the listener interaction, you know, it was always immediate and you, you'd go to events and, you know, people would, you know, line up to meet you and, you know, stroke your ego and that sort of thing. That was fun. Uh, you know, I could go on and on. There's, there's a lot of fun things about it, uh, that I truly, uh, truly enjoyed. Um, and, uh, just, relish my time in that in that industry i will always think back on it on it fondly now as as much as you and i have the radio business in common what um led me to to know you in the first place or, or come upon your name even the first time was the world of podcasting do you remember jeff the first time you heard the word podcast uh i i don't know i can say i can remember when i first heard that word though i can probably guess it was around oh four oh five oh six somewhere in there but uh, I can remember when I first began listening to podcasts uh, myself, uh, and this was, you know, before the uh, the addition of smartphones into the world, so it wasn't quite as easy then as it is now. But my wife, one year for our anniversary, got me a, an iPod, and so um, I had always wanted to explore podcasts, and I, I wasn't going on the web searching for them. I didn't have uh, an Apple device prior to this, and so, you know, that was kind of how you listen to podcasts. It was iTunes or nothing, basically. Um, but around 2007, I started listening to podcasts like, uh, what was then geek brief with Callie Lewis, uh, now known as Luria Petrucci, um, this week in tech, which, which was a repurposed weekend radio show with Leo Laporte. 
Um, I listened to The Accidental Creative uh, with Todd Henry, who's now been on my show twice as, a, as an author. Um, and those were, those were some, A Coffee Break Spanish was another one. <laughs> I wish I'd have stuck with that because eight years later, I'd probably be really fluent in Spanish. However, I didn't stick with it. So I'm no further along in my Spanish language skills now than I was then. Uh, and, and oddly enough, I was just asked last week if I could speak fluent Spanish because someone wanted to send me a client who needed someone who could speak the language. I had to say no. But, uh, but yeah, those were some of my, um, early experiences listening uh, to the format and, and really being, you know, fascinated with what people were doing. I never then saw myself doing it, but thought it was pretty cool. You, you mentioned Leo Laporte. Of course, he famously is not very fond of the word podcast. Um, I don't, I don't think we need to change the word. That's not what I'm discussing here, but it is something that I like to talk about whenever I'm, I'm talking to other podcasters. What, what do you think about the word? I, I'm, I sometimes worry, Jeff, that it, it alienates. I mean, obviously it doesn't alienate very much. You're listening to this podcast right now and, and, and you're in your car, you're in your shower and you don't have a problem with the word podcast. But I do think for the broader audience, sometimes it's a stumbling block. What do you think? Yeah, I think there's a lot of, of truth uh, to that. I think one of the reasons why we still, I think in 2015, only have about, I think it's 30 or so percent of the population in any given month who listens to a podcast. I think in the minds of a lot of people, there, there's um, still this um, uh, lack of understanding as to, to what it really is. I, I host this monthly uh, local breakfast called Geek Breakfast, where you know, tech-minded uh, folks get together, no agenda. We just chat once a month uh, around the breakfast table and um, you know, talk tech, and podcasts often come up. And there was a, a young lady there at one recent breakfast who uh, works in some capacity for Microsoft. I don't remember her specific uh, job or what you know facet of the company she worked for. Uh, but the word podcast came up, and she was close to 30. And, and she asked about She had no idea what that was, had never heard the word before, didn't know what a podcast was, was immediately curious about it, wanted to know how she would, would go about you know accessing one. And that just floored me that... You know, someone who works for a tech company who's nearing the age of 30 in 2015 had no idea what a podcast was. And so, you know, we still got a whole lot of work to do. Um, and really, it's it's not much different when you think about it, the way I kind of define it for people when I'm in a situation like that, is it's not much different than your DVR for your TV. I mean, there's hardly anybody today who doesn't own a DVR. My wife refuses to watch television in real time. Um, unless we're watching news or, or sports. Uh, if it's a, a show that can be watched and enjoyed just as much later, then that's how we're going to watch it. And I think those habits are beginning to be instilled in, 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 in most all of us uh, when we can pick and choose uh, on our own schedule when and how we watch something and we, we can decide, well, I think I want to take a couple hours here and watch three episodes of that at once and then not have to worry about it for a month or whatever. Um, and, 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 and podcasting is to audio what DVRs are to, to video and television. So, or Netflix or what have you. So it's, it's, to me, it's audio on demand at the end of the day, uh, spoken word, if you want to call it that, um, uh, Leo likes the term, you know, netcasts, but it never quite, uh, never quite took off. We may be stuck with the term, uh, podcasting, but I think, um, long term, it's 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 probably not ultimately going to to matter because in car listening, I think is going to be the difference maker. Um, podcasts, audio on demand, is going to begin to be and already is being served up to people via their dashboards 
without them having to understand what a podcast is, without them having to know what to do. They'll just press a button on their dash, you know, that says Stitcher, and uh, suddenly they'll have access to all this content. And whether or not it's called a podcast will not matter. It will be, that's that thing I access on my car, that show I can listen to whenever I want to listen to it, just like I do my favorite shows at home. So you just mentioned uh, Stitcher there. Stitcher, a great example of one of the, the mobile apps. And, of course, they've got a desktop application, a web web application that you can use to access all the different shows. Or Pretty much everybody's in there. Not all the podcasts uh, submit to the Stitcher directory, but the vast majority of people are there. Um, you actually got in pretty early to the mobile app game. And that was an interesting thing that I stumbled upon while I was researching you and looking up some of the other projects that you've been involved with. Um you know, talk about the beginning of Brown Nose Media and how you began to partner with small businesses. I think that's such a neat idea. You know, you know Jeff, coming from radio, I'm in small market radio. We, we've got a four-station group here, and this is something that we've been through. We contacted uh, Jack Apps with Jacobs Media uh, back in the day and looked at building our own app. And, and what we ended up doing was using one of these great big aggregators, the people who are doing our streaming services. They build an app. It's effectively the same app for all their radio stations, and we use that. That was a, a cheaper way for us to get into it. But what was the what was the difference you felt you could make in that space? Why did you feel like, hey, I can jump into this mobile app thing and help people? Well, really, it, it uh, was a realization um, while working in radio, and, and one of my best friends at, at the at the station was um, our head of sales, and she was the one going out. And, you know, pounding the pavement and meet, meeting with local businesses day in and day out, encouraging them to advertise or spend money with the radio station. And in talks with her, I realized that many of those local businesses assumed things like mobile apps were not in their future. It was something that was piquing everyone's curiosity, you know, in 2010. And we were you know now three years into mobile apps at that point. Uh, and... Most small businesses, mom and pop businesses, just assume that that was going to be something they could not afford and something they could not leverage, despite the fact that that uh, they knew that long term that was probably going to be important, whether it's a mobile optimized version of their site or a mobile app. And, and I saw an opportunity to um, bring that to that kind of business in, in an affordable way. And so that's that's really where it started. Um, uh, and, and where Brown Nose Media got its its genesis, uh, just found out yesterday. Uh, even though the company is not operating in that capacity any longer, that it's uh, been selected 2015 Best of Spring Hill Business Award, um, which uh, Spring Hill is the community I live in, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> but uh, I don't know what that mean if that means anything, but that's kind of neat anyway. Um, and so that, that was kind of the genesis of it. Um, and I did that off and on for about, um, and still have some active apps out there uh, for about three or so years. And, um, it was something I just kind of did on the side while I was in radio and it just because it was something I enjoyed and, and something that I thought, um, I could, I could help local businesses succeed at. Now, take that idea and apply it to podcasting, Jeff. You know, there's a, a, lo a lot of the big players in the space, the hosting companies, have apps that you can purchase through them or build through them. Do you think it's important for podcasters to build their own app or to have their own app? Well, you know, I, 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 it depends on who you talk to. Everybody's got an opinion on this. I, th I think it's, uh, is it Rob Walsh at, at Libsyn? 
I think it is who's a big advocate, and of course Libsyn makes that possible. I have a, a couple of former clients who are dabbling in that area right now, and and a lot of times you know you'll hear people talk about you know the App Store, uh, just like we think of iTunes for podcasts. The App Store is often a search engine, and uh, you know that's just one more place to be found if you have an app you know in the App Store. Um, but I don't know. I think the average person, and unless you're offering maybe uh, content that your listeners can't get anywhere else on your app. I'm not sure the average person is going to leverage that day in, day out, or week in, week, week out. I think the much more convenient thing to do is go places where all your podcasts are, <laughs> whether that's iTunes, the podcast app, or Stitcher, or what have you, and, and get access to all of them in one place. Why get everything except your podcast? You know, if, if I'm a listener, and, and, and I'm going to Stitcher, let's say, for all my other podcasts. So why would I leave Stitcher just to come to your app when I could just go to Stitcher and listen to your podcast? Unless you know, you're know you offering something to me as, as a user or as a listener via your app that is specific and exclusive to that app, then maybe that's an incentive to, to go and do that. Otherwise, uh, I, I, just don't, I just don't know if at the end of the day it's, it's going to be a big deal. I'm I'm pretty much exactly with you, uh, Jeff. I, I, it's 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 good to have someone that I respect in the space confirm my own biases there and, and make me think <laughs> I'm not just being cheap. I guess. Um, <laughs> let's talk about your podcast for a minute, though. Okay, if you're like me, you like to read, you like to learn, but your schedule does not allow for it. Mm. Jeff, I am ashamed to admit. In the past year, I think I have read maybe one and a half books. I mean, I'm struggling through right now. I'm trying to re read. Rob Bell's Love Wins. I'm finally getting around to that. And, mm -hmm. and I, I'm way late and I'm, it's taken me forever to get through it. I, you know, four kids, a full-time job, everything else. Mm -hmm. I just don't have time for it. You figured this all out for us, Jeff. You took care of it. You started the, <laughs> the Read to Lead podcast in 2013. Um, did you, I'm interested, did you come up with the subject first and then decide to do your show? Or did you know that you wanted to do a podcast and then you sort of, well, what should I talk about? Yeah, that that's a that's a tough question to answer in the sense that um, several years before I launched a podcast, I had thoughts of launching a podcast, but that's all it was. It stopped right then and there because I was like, "What in the heck would I do a podcast about? I don't know. What would what would people want to come and listen to me for?" And I I was at a loss for what that might be, uh, and so there was desire to do one, but just a lack of an idea as to to where to take that. But then several years later. Um, I was kind of counting up the books that I had read so far that year. I'd set some modest goals and, and realized I had obliterated those goals. And as I counted up, uh, I think three months into the year, the number of books I had read, it was it was equivalent to about a book a week. And at that time, um, I kind of thought, even though obviously they all aren't, I had kind of thought of podcasts as, as by and large weekly events, you know, weekly ep episodes for the mo most part. And so when I sat out loud to myself in the car on my way home from the radio station that one day, wow, it's like a book a week I've been reading. A light bulb went off. And I went, wait a second. Here's this thing I've been so passionate about for over a decade. I'm always wanting to, to find people I can share what I'm reading with, uh, share what I'm learning with. Um, and uh, I mean, gosh, just imagine how cool it would be to talk to some of the people whose books and whose work I admire and, 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 and the, and the brain and the gears kept turning more and more and more. And I thought this, this is the idea that I, I wasn't able to come up with several years ago. This is it. 
And, and this is something I'm super passionate about and books have impacted my life in a dramatic way. And I truly believe what I say at the outset of every one of my show, that intentional and consistent reading is key to success in business and in life. It has been in mine. Um, and if you talk to people like Warren Buffett and, and others, they'll say the same thing. What do I do most of my I read <laughs> and I study. And I think uh, some of the most successful people on the planet are, 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 are successful in, in large part because they take time to do something that most people don't take time to do. Now, it's not enough just to, to read and fill your head with knowledge. That's, that's only the start. You have to actually take action. And that's a very, very important step, too, and begin putting some of these things you're reading into action and leveraging what you're learning and figuring out what works and what doesn't and and then helping other people do the same and only then does it have the opportunity to you know get turned into what we call uh you know wisdom and so um i realized then and there that that was that was the idea i'd been looking for i i began researching it then in march and uh doing this was march of 2013 and doing some um minimal planning in April and May, I started acquiring the equipment I would need. In June, I started lining up and scheduling guests. And in July of that year, um, I launched. I was just very methodical about it and uh, have been doing it almost weekly uh, with a few exceptions here and there uh, ever since. The Read to Lead podcast is what we're talking about. It's an interview show, features authors discussing their work with Jeff. Um, when you got started, Jeff, did you reach out first to personal acquaintances or, or did you have some cold calls at the beginning? Um, uh, three of my first four uh, interviews or first ep three of my first four episodes I've published were with people that I had some some familiarity with or who had some familiarity with me. Uh, but beyond those first three out of the first four, um, virtually everybody else uh, was either a referral from one of those other folks or was somebody I was reaching out to for the first time. And um, a lot of folks who get into podcasting assume that, you know, you have to be in some kind of, you know, special club to get access to certain people. And if, if you're not in that club, then good luck. And I didn't find that to be the case at all. I found that more often than not, uh, people were more than willing to talk to you, to share what they knew, uh, uh, which oftentimes meant talking about themselves. I mean, who doesn't like to do that? I'm doing it right now. <laughs> you know, and so uh, I found that most people are willing to say yes to that. Oftentimes when there was a no, more often than not, it was a not right now more than it was a no. Um, it might be, you know, me going to Seth Godin before my podcast is launched. And Seth goes, you know what, why don't you check with me in three months? And that's sort of a kind or nice way of saying, let's see if you're still doing this three months from now. And then I might say yes. You know, I mean, I could read between the lines. I knew what that meant. Um, and though Seth didn't say yes the first two times that I asked him, he did say yes the third time. And that was, you know, requests, three requests over the course of about 16 months. And so um, you have to understand when a no is truly a no and when a no is really more of a not right now. Um, and again, I've, I've gotten far fewer of those than I've gotten uh, yeses whether it's uh, somebody I know or somebody I'm reaching out to for the first time. And of course, as, as more and more people say yes, as more and more people have been on your show and, and not died, they've actually <laughs> survived the process, then you can leverage those names uh, you know, down the road uh, as you reach out to, to more and more people. Have you had, especially because you, you focus often on, on books that are of a uh, motivational or, or leadership books or, or you, know, mm -hmm. you know, books that are, are useful, books that are informative as opposed to, we're not just talking about entertainment here. Do you have any hesitance from authors or have you had any hesitance from authors that feel like 
well, man, you're going to give away the best parts. Then who's going to read my book? <laughs> yeah, I think in my iTunes description, I still call it sort of the audio cliffs notes, uh, you know, sometimes uh, serving up some of the uh, key insights and main ideas in the event that you're not able to, to go to go deeper into it. But if any authors have had any reservations about that, they've never they've never voiced them to me. Um, uh, I, I guess maybe uh, the handful that have said no, maybe that was one of the reservations. <laughs> but if, if it was the case, they, they didn't they didn't mention that. Um, I find more often than not, people are more than willing to, to share. And I think they're smart enough to realize that although, you know, podcasts may not necessarily be responsible for selling hundreds of copies of books necessarily, uh, who's to say, I, I think they understand that, um, given the opportunity to get in front of your audience and share about your work and share what you're passionate about and why you wrote this book and, and what you think people can learn and take from it. I think they understand that more often than not, if people like what they're hearing, their curiosity is going to be piqued enough that they'll be much more likely to go out and buy it. I mean, Seth Godin is is the king of this this sort of thing. You know, I mean, he's I, I order three copies of his book uh, when it comes out, and what happens is in the mail, five copies show up. And he understands that that uh, me putting the hand putting the book in the hands of somebody who wouldn't have otherwise have found it, even though for free is going to be the best way to get that individual next time to go out and buy one of Seth's books. And and it's really the same with, with what I'm doing in the form of a podcast is I think most authors realize that this is a great way to get yourself in front of people that wouldn't have otherwise found you or known who you are. And and though they may be getting the key insights and main ideas from this book handed on a silver platter and maybe they don't go out and buy it, that doesn't mean they're not going to investigate your work uh, down the road and, and may go buy this book too. So. And you can tell that Jeff is genuine about his love of podcasting um, there because he spends a massive amount of his time helping other pe other people launch their shows. Jeff, how did you come up with, with Podcasters Academy? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a funny thing. When I got into podcasting, I had uh, no thoughts about one day mentoring people in this space or coaching people in this space that it's not anything I had ever thought of. It was not part of the plan. Um, about six or so months into my journey, maybe a little less actually about five or so months into my podcasts journey, I had a, a couple of uh, men in a mastermind group I was a part of. If you don't know what that means, uh, Google mastermind and you will find the meaning. Uh, a lot of great resources out there for that. But um, a couple of, uh, well, both the guys in this particular group I was in, it was just three of us. And both of them were encouraging me to consider doing something like that, to leverage my radio background and the success, the early success my podcast was experiencing and, and helping other people do this. And I sort of poo-pooed that. I'm like, nah, you know, Cliff Ravenscraft has sort of got a lock on that. And about this time, John Dumas was beginning to launch Podcasters Paradise and you know, people don't need another, another uh, person in that area. Uh, but then shortly after that, um, I began having um, listeners. Uh, you know, my podcast is not about podcasting, obviously, but, but I began ha to have listeners reaching out to me saying, hey, have you ever thought about teaching people what you do? Because if you did that, I would, I would line up to buy it or I would line up to be a part of that. And so um, and then at around that, around the same time as well, I did an interview with Natalie Sisson, the suitcase entrepreneur, and found uh, her book uh, very, very helpful as far as, and this is where I was getting stuck, the resources that I needed to leverage 
to create an online course and to put something like this, you know, out there to the world. And so um, I literally interviewed her on a Sunday, which I never do. Uh, it was postponed and ended up on a Sunday. I've never interviewed anybody on a Sunday except Natalie Sisson. Monday, I was editing it for Tuesday's release, and I stopped about noon, and I decided that before I published that episode, I was going to launch Podcaster Academy. And I spent the next nine hours building the site and you know, bought, the, bought the domain name and, and put the site together enough that I, I wasn't ashamed for people to see it. Launched the site, went back to my podcast episode that I was editing and, and began talking about it, Podcaster Academy, in that episode, in the Natalie Sisson episode. So that by the next day, less than 24 hours later, I was telling my listeners about it, even though I understood that, you know, my listeners weren't necessarily the target audience for something like this. I was at least going to tell them about it. So those who might be in the audience who would be interested would, would consider it. And I, and I got several signups from doing that. Now, mind you, I had not created one iota of content, <laughs> nothing, nothing at all other than, you know, um, a description of, of what it was going to include and how the modules were going to look and, and when they would be made available on the website. And that was it. None of it had actually been created. So uh, that was in early December of 2013. And within a month I had, I was looking for 20 signups. I was going to take 20 people through this at a time. By the end of the month, I had 12 signups in uh, January rolled around and I thought, well, I guess I should probably start creating this content since we're going to start next month in February. <laughs> so uh, I began that process. And by the time February rolled around, we had 21 or 22 people ready to go. Um, and I literally, um, I delivered that first night's module live to a class, a virtual class room full of people and had not finished any of the other three modules when I delivered that first one. And so I spent, I ended up skipping a couple of podcast episodes in February and spent much of my, my spare time finishing the other modules and then did that three or four more times, you know, taking 20 people through this course uh, uh, every other month or so uh, later on that year. And so that was the genesis of it. And eventually I transitioned out of that. And for a little over a year now, uh, Joel, I've been doing almost exclusively one-on-one uh, -on -one, uh, coaching. Well, that's what I noticed that you, that you have one-on-one uh, -on -one consultations now. What do you think is the, first of all, I love that story. And I think for me personally, the vast majority of like the great ideas in my life, the vast majority of the good moves uh, that I have made, they have all been in a, in a moment of inspiration and excitement mm -hmm. and, and motivation like that. You know, you get the idea, mm -hmm. you see the opportunity and you think, if I don't do this now, first of all, I'm going to stagnate about it, but also somebody else is going to mm -hmm. take advantage of the window, right? Mm. Yeah, and the funny thing is, you know, I talked about John Dumas uh, a moment ago. He started Podcasters Paradise around that same month as when I first began hearing about it. And I, I knew John. Uh, he'd been on my show previous to that. And one of the guys in my mastermind group said, hey, why don't you reach out to John about doing a, a joint venture webinar with John? John was was partnering with some folks here and there uh, in JV webinars to, to get the word out about Podcasters Paradise. And I remember thinking, well, why does he want to do a a joint venture webinar with me and and my friend's idea was no look you approach john and john's john's um uh, payout on on jv webinars at that time was uh was well i think probably still is 50 percent. but 50 percent at that time 
equaled what I was charging for my course. Uh, my course was half the cost of what his course was at that time. And so we did a joint venture webinar together. I brought people to the webinar and everybody who signed up got John's course, whatever he was selling it for at the time, and got my course for free. And so I still got paid for all of those students. I just got paid by John instead of the student um, because I got the, you know, the 50% uh, kickback. And so that really helped uh, John in the early going, I think, but it, uh, even more so it helped me sort of seed my early attempts at getting my program off the ground. So even though we were, in one sense, we were doing, uh, you might argue we were doing competing things, um, I had gone out of my way to make sure that, that what I was doing uh, and what I was teaching was differentiated enough that, uh, that was, it was obvious there was room for both, where John was really helping you get launched and helping you put it all together and um, get it out into the world. And, and really what I was teaching was, okay, here's how you do it and do it really, really well from a guy who you know, made a living behind a microphone for 26 years. So here's how we're going to really take it up a notch. And so those two things complemented each other really well uh, in the early going. You know, Jeff, it's one of those things I, I heard recently on an episode of uh, Podcasters Roundtable with, with Ray Ortega. And he talked about, you know, there's not – there isn't a lot of competition, even though there would seem to be crossover between all of those different guys who do a how-to show. Uh, John Lee Dumas, uh, as an example, Ray, Dave Jackson, you know, Cliff Ravenscraft, uh, Daniel J. Lewis, all of those guys, because they're all coming at it from a slightly different perspective. You know, everybody's yeah. got their own voice, and I think the audience will find you. The audience that you're perfect for will find you, and, and there's room for all of us. Yeah, and and the cool thing about it at the uh, at the end of that story is um, when I decided that you know as a, a co coaching twenty people at a time, I felt wasn't quite always allowing me to go as deep with individual students as I would like because everybody's journey, every guy, everybody's podcast journey is so unique, and I wanted to toy with with one on one coaching. Now, granted, you know that that's a little difficult to scale. <laughs> And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at productizing some aspects of that between now and the end of the year. Um, that's one of the reasons to do group coaching, right? Because you can scale it. Um, but I really wanted to feel like I could have more of an impact on each person's journey. And I, and I felt like one-on-one -on -one coaching would allow me the ability to more uh, impact more what they were doing. Plus, I, I could work with fewer people at a time. And, and because we were working so closely together, I could charge a lot more money for it, uh, you know, like five times more in this case. And so um, the, I reached out to John again and said, Hey, John, I know you're stepping, you're not doing as much one-on-one -on -one coaching as you used to. Um, uh, if you'd be willing, uh, I would love to help you put some of that money back in your pocket. Uh, how would you feel about sending people my way? And John's been doing that now for 14 months. Um, and so, um, you know, it's, it's really, I have found about, uh, more about, you know, just building relationships, understanding that, um, you should always be, uh, bringing value to any community you're in without looking for anything in return. Uh, so that when an idea does strike, um, and you reach out to somebody, they're more than willing to listen to what you have to say and consider your idea as harebrained as you think it might sound, um, because you have brought that value because you've been generous with your time because you've helped them do what it is they're doing. When I approached John about doing a JV webinar, I, I thought that was, he wasn't, he's not going to say yes to that. And he said, yes. And then 
seven, eight months later, when I approached him about, um, you know, one-on-one coaching and me wanting to sort of pick up the baton he was letting go of and, and, and run off with it, um, I thought it was a harebrained request, but he said yes. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, you just never know, uh, you know, what direction that kind of thing is, is going to take. Uh, and, and, and the worst thing you can do is not ask, as long as you've earned the right to ask. Let me maybe clear about that. <laughs> Absolutely, boy, and, and well put too. And, and speaking of being generous with your time, I'm I'm already overstaying my welcome here uh, with you, Jeff. So before we get you out of here, though, it is the title of the show now, as we've just relaunched. So I've got to ask you, Jeff Brown, what makes you weird? Well, the last thirty or so minutes ought to be a pretty good indication <laughs> of that. But um, <laughs> I'm I'm weird in the sense that um, I treat my dogs like they're my sons. <laughs> you can see that on your uh, Facebook page too. Yeah. Yeah, you can. Uh, Fritz and Frank are like the two humans. I never, hum, human boys. I never, never had. No, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I'm one of those people. I don't dress them in clothes anymore, but, um, uh, I do, I do, uh, love them dearly. Uh, but no, I, uh, I don't know what makes me weird. I, I <laughs> I'm I'm just I guess I'm I'm a middle-aged uh American white guy. I guess that makes me weird. I don't know. <laughs> hey, it, it, now it does. Uh, these days it does. <laughs> yeah, aren't, aren't we the the most hated demographic in America? I, well, I don't know about you, but like I always I always feel like uh, I I am a I'm a pretty liberal guy uh and and I'm a pretty um I I am a pretty progressive guy. I would generally think of myself and I I think a lot about well who am I to have a podcast? I'm just one more white, straight, you know, middle-aged guy <laughs> that's out here uh, with my voice blabbing. I should step out of the way and let some some women or minorities in. But hey, we, we're still allowed to talk too. That's the beauty of the internet. There's room for everybody. <laughs> that's right. That's one of the things I love. I mean, gosh, I mean, you just look at. I'm, I'm reading a book right now called The End of Jobs. Uh, I'm going to be interviewing the the author uh, tomorrow. Young guy, but. Uh, it really um, addresses this this notion that you know we're coming out of what has been a knowledge economy, and for the last fifteen years, entered into whether we realize it or not, what's really an entrepreneurship economy, and how you know we're paying more and more and more for college as each year passes, and it's becoming less and less relevant to our future. <laughs> and uh, I just helped launch a podcast, a former client of mine, uh, a podcast called "Does College Matter." Uh, and I really think we're at a place where young people are coming out of, out of high school and considering college. And, uh, I think going, going forward, fewer and fewer people are, are going to find that that's the right route for them. I think it was, uh, my friend, Dan Miller, who once referenced seeing a high school marquee at the end of the school year that said 100% college placement. And his response to that was how sad yeah. <laughs> that we assume that that path is the path that everybody should take. That's kind of what we value in society when uh, that's not the path for everybody and should not be the path for everybody necessarily. Uh, really interesting stuff. And your podcast in particular <laughs> is a great way to, to take an alternative educational track, Jeff. So I'm glad you're out there helping uh, those of <laughs> us who, who need that alternate uh, track from college or, or maybe need a refresher course because we didn't focus on college. <laughs> well, I appreciate that very much. Thank you. All right, Jeff, thank you so much for your time, man. My pleasure.
Jeff is such a great guy. I really appreciate him for uh, spending time with us, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. i got to tell you real quick a, a story about Jeff uh, off the air. He and I talked about this, but it didn't make the show. When I first got to meet him at Podcast Movement 15 recently in uh, Fort Worth, I was um, standing there with my wife. I'm standing alongside my wife as we walk up, and we're saying hi to some people wandering around the hotel uh, on the first evening of the event. And I see Jeff. He's speaking with somebody else. I sort of wait my turn to interrupt him, and then I I step up, throw my hand out, and, and shake his hand. He and I had interacted uh, on Facebook, but never in real person, never in, in real life before. So I stick my hand out, and I say, hi, Jeff, and I introduce myself. And he says, oh, Joel, nice to meet you. We chit-chat for just a few seconds. There's a lull in the conversation. And just so funny, he throws his arm around my wife, who is now still sort of standing in between us, throws his arm around my wife, who has not been introduced to the conversation at this point, and looks at me and says, have you met my girl? She got a real kick out of that, and uh, though she didn't know Jeff before that, she's now a big Jeff Brown fan, and I hope after this interview, so are you. Thank you so much for joining us here again on What Makes Me Weird. You can tune in every week, every Thursday, for a new interview as we talk to a different guest about their passion for their artistry, industry, or their hobby. Come back next week, and in the meantime, you can find us on Facebook or on Twitter. Just search for Makes Me Weird, and you can email us too, makesmeweird at gmail.com until next week i am joel sharpton you should keep it weird you got busted without a dime be your name you took a bus ride with your mindset to fame they had a tough time remembering your name well we don't no we don't you missed a big chance to be a hollywood star but for most folks that never was in the cards Well, you sailed And you failed Well, at least you got to do it While you were young Before you get old And you lose your nerve So here's to you From the great Pelican State It's never too late To come back home So here's to What Makes Me Weird is a proud member of the Two Guys and a Rogue Network. You can find more info and a full list of our episodes at blogtalkradio slash makesmeweird. You can also email the show to makesmeweird at gmail.com and follow us on Facebook or Twitter by searching Makes Me Weird. Our theme song is From the Great Pelican State by Adam Dale. Two Guys and a Rogue. I'm one guy. I'm the other. And this is the network. These fingers crossed, Paprika Burgers. Big day today. Jamie gets his exam results. I hope he's done okay. He's worked so hard. So I'm making my Paprika Burgers for when he gets home. They were lucky last time. I add red onion and paprika to the mince. Then I top with jalapenos. Well? Make your own burgers with our Tesco finest Aberdeen Angus beef. Food Love Stories, brought to you by Tesco. <laughs> Dinner Lady Margaret spent her 25-year career laughing and joking with the school children. 
Then she received a call out of the blue about her pension from what she thought was a reputable firm. But it was a scammer, and her lifetime savings were stolen. Yeah, drives like a dream. I'll take it. Don't let a scammer enjoy your retirement. Check who you're dealing with. Visit ScamSmart from the Financial Conduct Authority.